Tonight we're in John chapter 20. We're starting in verse 19 tonight. Remember where we came from. Last week we talked about Mary, Mary Magdalene, and her story with Jesus as the first to see him resurrected. And all four Gospels record that, that Mary was among those the first to see him. John here focuses on Mary and says she saw him, the resurrected Lord. And she was commissioned by him to give a message to the disciples. Now John doesn't say this, but in Luke, Luke tells us that they thought it was as nonsense to them. That they, they didn't understand her message. It was, it was confusing to them. And so now Jesus is going to make himself known to his disciples. And in this case, what we're about to read, to the tent. So why the ten? Well, one, Judas is dead at this point. He has betrayed the Lord. And uh, as Luke tells us, he went and hung himself. So he is dead at this point. And as we know, as we're about to find out, Thomas himself is not there, is he? Because that's going to lead to the next part of this passage. So the ten are gathered. The ten are gathered. And it says this in verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week. So now a week has passed since Jesus' resurrection. Mary saw him on that first Sunday of his resurrection, and she went and gave the message of the Lord to the disciples. And now it's been a week's time. It's Sunday again. So this message has sat with them for a week. Confusing, it's probably rolled around in their heart and in their soul. What is this message that Mary tried to communicate? I mean, is it just a... Did she just have a hallucination? Did she have a, you know, some kind of strange vision? Uh, what, how could this be? And yet they know the tomb is empty, don't they? They know the body is not there. So it says this on the first day of the week. When the doors were shut where the disciples were. Why? For fear of the Jews. They're afraid. Remember, Joseph of Arimathea and, and Nicodemus had come out despite their fear. They had revealed themselves to be true disciples. They had, for fear of the Jews, kept it quiet that they were faithful disciples and revealed it at his death by taking his body and laying it in the tomb and preparing it for burial with the spices that Nicodemus brought. Now, oddly enough, these disciples who were so quick to follow him in life, so uh, fervent in their discipleship of him, now that he's dead, they're afraid. They have become secret disciples, hidden in their room with the doors shut, for fear that, just like their Lord, they too might die that they might be killed for believing in him. So they're afraid, and they're shut up together, the ten of them. And it says, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. 
So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, for the Father has sent me. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. We'll stop there for a minute. This is often known as the Johannine Pentecost, right? It's John's Pentecost. It's, it's often referred to that in scholarly circles. And there's a lot of views about this event. It's a confusing event with what we have for other data points, particularly Acts 2, right? The story of Pentecost. Scholars have, uh, I would say, four major views that I've seen. And we'll talk about them. And I'll be honest, after looking into them and studying them, I'm, I'm less convinced than I was before of any of them. Uh, I, they are all have valid points to speak to them. Um, and maybe you'll find your view here. But I'll tell you that I, I think uh, what's going on here is very unique. And it's hard to interpret how we reconcile John 20 with Acts 2. And the four major ways I'll give you are this. One is that there's two different events that have happened. One is this story of John 20, and one is the story of Acts 2, and they're two separate events, and they were different Holy Spirit fillings. They were for different purposes. So one view is that this pouring out of the Holy Spirit is actually for the apostles, and it was their empowerment for mission. So when they were empowered for mission in this moment, for their specific mission as apostles, and the Lord poured the Spirit out on them so that they were ready for their mission. And then Acts 2 is the story of the Holy Spirit's indwelling. Okay, that's one view I've heard. The second view flips those. This story is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit indwelling believers. And Acts 2 is the story of empowerment for mission. So that's two views there. The third view I've heard is that Jesus speaking here is not actually giving them the Holy Spirit. He's preparing them. He's preparing them to receive it in Acts 2. By telling them to receive the Holy Spirit, it's equivalent almost to like in, in Luke, where he said, or excuse me, in the beginning of Acts, where it says, wait, wait until he's come to you. And Jesus, in the same way, is saying, receive the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a preparatory statement. Be ready. Be ready to receive the Holy Spirit. And they are waiting for Acts 2 to really receive it. And, and the fourth is this. This is just a different retelling of Pentecost. John is giving a version of Pentecost that he wants to tell about because he's told the whole story of Jesus in a different way in the Synoptic Gospels. And since John, unlike Luke, never wrote a second volume, never wrote a companion piece, he needs to include the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John because he wants to tie it to Jesus' death and resurrection. And so by doing this, he's included the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in a unique way that looks very different than Acts 2, but it's telling about the same event in a different and unique way. So those are the four major views. And like I said, I actually think they all have some uh, the points to make scripturally. I just wanted to make you aware of those different views so you could think through this event. 
But what I can say for sure, the thing we're sure about, we have to ask, what is this saying literarily? What is this saying in the Gospel of John? What is John himself trying to communicate? And we know this. Uh, one I've already said is that John is tr trying to tie the pouring out of the Holy Spirit to Jesus' death and resurrection closely because he wants you to see it as one continuing work of Jesus. That is all the work of Christ. His death was the fulfillment of his earthly ministry. But Jesus had more to do, didn't he? When he says in John, it is finished, it is accomplished, he's talking about his earthly ministry. What he had to complete on the earth is completed. But he still has more to do, doesn't he? He has to be risen, he has to ascend to his Father, he has to pour out the Holy Spirit. And as 1 John would tell us, he still intercedes for us at the throne of the Father. So Jesus' work is not done. He's not, it's not like he, Jesus like bows out. It's like, okay, see you guys later. I'm done. You, you do your part now. Jesus is at work, just like his father is at work, as he said in John. Jesus is still at work. And so John ties these stories together by showing what's happening with Pentecost. And the other thing we know is that John is clearly trying to show that in the resurrection and pouring out of the Holy Spirit, He's fulfilling John 14 to 17. These chapters we've spent so many weeks focused on, this upper room discourse, the last instructions of Jesus, there's many, many textual clues that John is trying to show Jesus did those things. What's the first? Jesus says, peace be with you. Do you remember what Jesus says in John 14 to 17? My peace I leave you. Not like the world... But I give you my peace. Jesus comes in and says, peace. That's fulfilling John 14 to 17. What was the, the main point of John 14 to 17? That this Holy Spirit is going to come. I'm going to send him to you. This story fulfills that. Jesus is sending him. What's another piece? I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Jesus is coming to them. What's another piece? It, right now you're afraid, but when I return you will have joy. What did the disciples do when they saw Jesus? It says they rejoiced. All the reality of John 14 to 17 is being fulfilled when Jesus is coming to them in the resurrection and giving them the Spirit. And that is what John is doing. He's tying up all these themes, all these pieces that he's talked about that were heading towards Jesus' death. In his resurrection, he's fulfilled them all. He's fulfilled them all. Everything he said he was going to do, he's done. He's like, I'm coming back, and I will be with you, and you'll never be alone again. I will not leave you as orphans. He's done that. I give you my peace. He's done that. I give you the Spirit sent from the Father. He's done that. Everything Jesus said he would do. I have authority to lay down my life and take it up again. Jesus has taken it up again. Everything Jesus said he would do, he has done in John 20. That's what John is trying to tell us. That all these promises, all these words that Jesus spoke in his earthly life, his earthly ministry, he brought to pass. He brought to pass. The Lord used him to bring them to pass. <clears throat> That's what this section is about. And of course... 
go, as we go on, uh, sweet Thomas is not there. Hmm. Sweet Thomas. Poor Thomas. He's had such a rough go of it in church history. He's often referred to by the moniker Doubting Thomas. I think that's a terrible, terrible designation for him. He's a good man. He is a skeptic. That's true. He's a skeptic. But Jesus does not denigrate his faith. He does not degrade the faith of Thomas. He actually gives Thomas exactly what he needs to believe. And that's something we miss. Thomas is a person who says, I want to see it. I want to see it. Verse 24, Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, which just means the twin. He was a twin, probably. He was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. One thing is, is interesting to think about is this. Um, Thomas wants proof that this is the same Jesus. What's the point of the scars? Well, maybe they just saw the spirit. Or maybe they saw a demon that said it was Jesus. He doesn't know. He's saying, I need to see a connection between this man who is crucified, my Jesus, and who this person you say you're seeing is. That's the importance of the scars because it shows you that this Jesus is the same one who was crucified. The same one who had the spear pierce his side. It's that Jesus. It's not a pretender. It's him. Thomas wants to see the evidence. Like so many of us today, we want to see the proof. And it's unfair, I think, to, to tell Thomas that he's doubting. Thomas wanted to believe. I, I believe that. I think he wanted to believe. But he said, unless I can prove that this Jesus is the same Jesus I follow, I won't believe. I won't believe. I need to know it's him. Remember earlier, Thomas had said, let's go with the Lord back to Judea and we'll die with him. Thomas was a brave man. He was willing to go back with the Lord when they were going to see Lazarus. He said, let's all go and die with him. Because he knew death was coming. He knew if they went back to Judea, they had angered the chief priests and the Pharisees so much that they would probably die. He was a brave man. But here, he is a skeptic. He's a skeptic. He wants to see the proof. I said at the beginning of this series, 10 months ago, which is hard to believe, hard to believe we've been doing this church for that long. At the beginning of the series, I named this series, Seeing is Believing. And it's funny, because as I've done these sermons, I kind of just like tossed it to the side, and we haven't really dealt with it. But this is the one. This is the one that talks about it. Seeing is Believing. Throughout this gospel, we've talked about the idea of witness, of testimony, of the fact that, that people need to hear, they need to see. Many people would see a miraculous sign of Jesus recorded in this gospel. For example, in John 6, when they see the feeding of the 5,000, the multiplying of the loaves, 
and they still did not believe. The whole time this gospel is played with that idea that these people are seeing miraculous signs, and some of them believe, and then others don't believe, and then some of the ones who believe stop believing. Right at the end of John 6, they're like, Jesus, this is a hard teaching about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. Who could follow it? And it says many of his disciples left him after that. Throughout this gospel, that theme has come up again and again. And Thomas now says it. I'm not going to believe unless I can see it. Unless I can see it. He's not there in this moment when the Spirit's given to them in whatever way that happens. He's not there. He's not a part of it. He doesn't get to see it. Verse 26, after another eight days, his disciples were again inside. And Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and he stood in their midst and said to Thomas, reach here. Reach here with your finger. See my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving. But be believing. What's the point of what he's doing? Jesus is it, Jesus doesn't say, Come on, Thomas! Why haven't you believed? They told you they saw me. You're such a doubter. No, Jesus gives him exactly what he said he needed to believe. Thomas knew himself. He said, I need to see this. Lord gave it to him in his graciousness and compassion. You need to touch my body to see that it's me. Come here, Thomas. Put your hand in my side. Touch the holes in my hands. And believe. And believe. There's no doubt it's a light rebuke. He should have believed. He should have believed. But Jesus gives him what he needs to This is the climax of the whole gospel. Everything the gospel has been saying is leading to this moment. It's leading to this moment. And that moment is this, what Thomas responds to Jesus when he sees him. Thomas, this doubting Thomas that we have, have talked so poorly about, gives the confession of the church. He's the first person to do it in the gospel of John. Not just that he's Christ, not just that he's a prophet, not just that he's even Lord, though they haven't used Lord in the God sense yet until this moment, but he calls him God. The Lord speaks to him, and Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Thomas did that. He gets the climactic confession. He's the person who tells us after 20 chapters, who Jesus is. He is the Lord and he is God. We know he's a man. We've read about him like a man. He's walked like a man and talked like a man and, and touched like a man. And Thomas says, I want to see the man. And when he sees the man, he says, my Lord and my God. Because he's resurrected. He's in his body again, a new body, but one that bears the scars of what had come before. 
And right on the heels of that, Jesus flips seeing is believing on its head. Because we're always told to see is to believe. We've got to experience. we just got to see it. And Thomas does see it. And he says, my Lord and my God. What's Jesus' response? Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believed. He turns that phrase on its head because he says, guess what? Blessed are those who have not seen and believe. And since this day, when Thomas saw that in the other resurrection appearances, in Acts 1, when Jesus ascends to heaven, every single person who has ever been a Christian has had to live with that reality. We are blessed because we did not see and yet believe. Every Christian since the earliest apostles has fallen under that category. They have not seen and chosen to believe. And Jesus himself says we are blessed because we've done that. Blessed. And John emphasizes that point by saying this. Get this. You know why I wrote this gospel? I wrote it for this reason. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. John tells us explicitly why he wrote this book. Jesus' confession... Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And John, writing in 90 AD, writes this book and says, Here's my testimony. I give it to you so that even though you did not see the signs, even though you were not there, you've read them. And I'm telling you, as someone who witnessed it, that they are trustworthy, that they happened, that you can believe me. And if you believe... Unlike Thomas, if you cannot see and believe, you will have life in his name. That's the point of the Gospel of John. John wrote all these miraculous things that Jesus did, and he's including his death and resurrection as one of these signs, isn't he? That's why he waits till now to say these signs were written. These were written so that you might believe that Jesus truly is the Christ, the Son of God. We just saw that in Thomas's confession. I wrote these things so that you might believe that. And that in believing, you may have life in his name. John wrote this book for evangelism. <laughs> so that people might believe. Even those who never saw Jesus. And we, we are the beneficiaries of that. We are the ones who have received from the disciples' witness, written down, and passed from generation to generation. And we too heard the story of Jesus through the Apostles' testimony and the Holy Spirit. Right? Again, the Holy Spirit and the, the Apostles, the witnesses, are working together. The Holy Spirit has witnessed for 2,000 years since he was poured out in this moment. 
For 2,000 years he has witnessed, and we witness alongside him. For those of us who have believed, we witness alongside. We know we have life in his name because we believe, and we too add our witness to the chorus of witnesses throughout history to who Jesus is. That is the gospel of John. The highlight, the climax of this gospel. We've seen what Jesus did. And now we must respond in belief. He has an epilogue, and what an amazing epilogue John Tonborn will talk about for over the next two weeks. What an amazing epilogue. Uh, the restoration of Peter is one of the great, great stories of the gospel. <coughs> that when we fail, we have an advocate who will restore us, who seeks our restoration and our rehabilitation, not our destruction. One of the great stories of the gospel. But from here on out, we have these few weeks, and we now know why John wrote to us, and what the Holy Spirit has used this book through the centuries, that we might believe and have life by believing. Aaron, I'd like you to come up. Um, and could we just could we just do um, your name is like honey one more time? I'd love that. Thank you. Let me bless you as we, as we close. Heavenly Father, thank you for each person in this room. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that they are all here. I'm so grateful that they have found their place. And as I know this group, that they have found their place in believing. Lord, I pray you would strengthen our belief. I pray that we, as we've read these signs, that you would rekindle our belief in you and in your power and in your goodness and in your willingness to give us more and more of your spirit so that we might be changed. Father, would you do your work um, of making us more like your son? Would you send your spirit to do that in ever greater ways than us? For each person in here, Jesus, would you show them a sign this week? Show them a sign that reminds them to believe in you, that would give them new faith and new dimensions of faith, that you are at work in this world and in our hearts. Lord, would you persecute uh, the, excuse me, would you prosecute the world? Would you prosecute the world and its evil? But would you do it in a way that you've always done, with the love and grace of Jesus that turns evil things into beautiful things, that takes the evil and darkness of the world and makes it uh, somehow good come from it in the darkest of places? Would you please, Lord, turn the world to you? I know that was your intention, because while we were enemies, you died for us. Would you please, Lord, remind us again of who your Son is. We need the witness of the Holy Spirit. We need Him to remind us day by day of who you are, Jesus. And would you empower us to offer our testimony 
offer our story. And that doesn't just mean the moment of conversion. It means what you're doing in our lives and what you continue to do and what you have seen us through and what you've done in the past and in, in the present and what you're going to do in the future. And we trust in your promises. Would you give that hope to each person in this room? And would that hope spread from this place like a fire? Lord, would the darkness of these days pass from us and that people could find hope and healing in you, that they'd be released from their sin and their bondage and their darkness and their loneliness, their loneliness of this season, that they would be brought to life and in your grace and by your spirit you gave us community that we're so grateful to partake in tonight. You remind each of us of the power that community offers. And would you show us a sign again so that we might believe. Thank you for your servant, John, who wrote this beautiful gospel. Thank you for the opportunity to teach it to this group of people that I love. Lord, would we be changed by it? As it has changed us before, as it's shaped and formed me from a boy into a man. And would you remind us of the great truths it holds? Things like, I have new commandment, I give you love one another. Things like, Jesus is washing of the disciples' feet. Things like, the water of the Spirit that came when you were glorified. Make us anew. In your image, Jesus. Thank you for each person. Would they be blessed? Blessed by your word tonight. The things I have to say are only valuable as, as far as people can hear you. Would people in this room be changed by what they heard tonight? Would you sink it deep into their souls? believe, Lord. We do believe. Help us even in our unbelief.